Welcome to the closed session, how to get paid in Silicon Valley, with your host, Tom Chavez and Vivek Vidya. Welcome, everybody. This is episode five, season three of The Closed Session. My name is Tom Chavez. And I'm Vivek Vedia. It's been five episodes, Tom's. We are rolling deep. I know. Now, it's a bummer because the prior episodes, we had some video. Right. And then we haven't had video in the, in the last couple of episodes because our man Steve is He's... away f- for a little bit. But we'll be back on video because I'm already getting like crazy texts and slacks from people like, I need to see Vivek's beautiful mom. Of course. Of course. Right. And I thought we would be on video again today, so I got a haircut like last time. You got another supercut haircut? Uh-huh. I love that. See? 27 bucks. You just walk in. But have you figured out what your, because we talked about that the other day. You oh, yeah. Here we the go. The lady at the supercut asks you your-, your my number. Your number. And you don't, don't even know your, after all these years, you think, of going to supercuts, you would think an Indian man would know his number. No. See, that's the thing. When you get haircuts in India, or you go to the, first you go to the barber, and you tell the barber- I like it short on the sides and back and heavy on the top. And the barber just knows what to do. Okay. Because they use scissors. V, they v. don't use, you know, the machines v. like over here. We're not in India anymore. I know, I know. More's the pity. We're in the United States of America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. You got to do it our way. I know, I know. I think we talked about it and I suggested a number of... So, so here's what happened. I here's what happened. five. Here, here's what happened. So I said, I said, uh, I want six. <laughs> and she said, six is not short. Five is short. Like, okay. Yeah. So I said, what is the longest short number you have? The longest short number. Because yeah. you studied a lot of math. Yes. That's a well, there's theorems around <laughs> yes. long short numbers. Yes. Right, she said right, five. Right. I said, okay, but let's do five. All right. Well, I think it looks magnificent. Whoa, was that was that your little device? It was my little device. That was all the way live. That's how people know this is not this is not like faked or deep faked it's or like this. We're is recording all the way live. live. All right. Turn off your ringer. Yes. Okay. So today we're going to talk about CEOs. And in the past, we've talked about crafting, not critiquing, right? And setting the soil conditions mm-hmm. for companies in Superset to really, really take off. Mm-hmm. We've talked in the past about how our first product hire, our first hire is a product co-founder. Correct. And, and we're looking for grit, humility, organized thinking, clock speed. We covered all of those elements. Um, but... It's not necessarily to bring in a CEO too early. Let me say this. I've been a CEO and I've screwed up a lot of stuff. And the problem with CEOs frequently is the wrong CEOs show up with a ton of certainty and a lot of bluster mm-hmm. and they're kicking up all kinds of dust. They're a tornado of, you know, sometimes it's useful. More often than not, it's not that useful. And so the art of it is finding the right CEO at the right time, right? When at these companies at Formation are really just kind of a state of mind, mm-hmm. right? There's all of this stuff, this kind of barn raising kinds of things that need to happen. And so what we wanted to cover today is the idea, the topic of, you know, the right CEO at the right time. Um, and so let's jump in, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. I think it's important to recognize or talk about at the early stage, why companies that we build don't need a CEO. At the earliest stage. At the earlier stage. Right. Right? Because if you think about if you think about what a CEO does at the early stage, there's definitely product stuff because mm-hmm. it's all about building product. And we've talked about how we think about building products, message market fit, talking to customers, all of that stuff. Sure, that's that's CEO does that, but everybody does that in the company. Right. Right. And you don't need to have a CEO title to do that. 
think the other thing that that CEOs do at this early stage is fundraising. And and we we account for that with our model, right? Right. Because look, I mean that's one of the things we've talked about. I've said CEOs running up and down Sand Hill at that earliest stage peddling idle PowerPoint with unverifiable claims. Any hour you spend doing that is an hour not spent. Correct. On more important things. Correct. Right. So the premise for Superset is to cre- is to have a fund that exists purely and exclusively to support those companies at formation. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't chase or look at other things. So it, it reminds people of VC, but and we always have to kind of deflate people's expectations. We're like, wait a minute, I, I I'm glad you have a thing, but that's we're not for you. Correct. Right. Correct. The the money exists again exclusively to support our companies' information. So that frees up a lot of time and creates Correct. space for for teams, early stage teams to go and get it right. Now, look, I think that there are, we're talking out of both sides of our mouth here, right? Because great CEOs um, are so necessary. And I think that the way Silicon Valley has conceptualized them frequently is sort of not fungible, but like I can go out to market and find a great tech CEO to operate and lead an early stage company. And I violently disagree. Yeah. Right. What what what's been your what's your mindset on that? Topic? I think I think the the first thing I will say is that at the early stage, and especially for tech for tech companies, CEOs need to be product focused mm-hmm. because it's all about, especially the early stages, all about the product, uh, and. And the market oftentimes confuses, oh yeah, we'll bring in somebody else. It's just about selling. It's not right. about selling at all, That's right. actually. Uh, at the early stage or even beyond, you, you can hire great salespeople to come in and sell your product, but you need to focus on the more important things like message market fit and product market fit and, and, and the staging and sequencing the company, et cetera. And in our last podcast, we talked about the dome of the temple, that longer arc. Correct. Right? So you have to begin with the end in mind and the right kind of CEO isn't going to be out there just peddling individual features and functions in a product, but mapping, speaking authoritatively to all of the, the ground level capabilities of the product, but in a way that maps convincingly to that longer arc Correct. we talked to about. That, to that aspirational, inspirational vision right. for the company. Yep. So it's, it's, it's the whole enchilada. And at this early stage, look, it's, um, it requires a lot of patience mm-hmm. and delayed gratification. And I think one of the things I've seen is that most CEOs are too impatient to deal with the soul-sucking drudgery, right? And crippling ambiguity <laughs> that yeah. comes with this early stage. And there's also the question of ego, right? Because CEOs, you know, people who have that kind of mindset come in like, I want to make some decisions. Right. I want to be the one who decides everything, right? And at early stage, it's not about that at all. Uh, it's about collaboration and, and sitting together at the kitchen table, blueprinting, asking each other questions. As we said in the last podcast, I say it, you say it. There's a lot of that, which requires a certain amount of humility. Right. Uh, that outside CEOs oftentimes don't have. That's right. That's right. So, so look, we're going to have a guest join us in a bit who, who is the exception Yeah. To, that proves that general rule we're talking about, right? And, and here we are again, somebody who can scale up, scale down, right? Be, be able to see the whole picture be patient enough to deal with the early stage point to point challenges, right? Correct. And uh, in addition to all of the team building and, and core leadership aspects that come with the job. Correct. Right. 
So, so let's, um, let's talk about, you know, we've spent so much time talking about product here Mm -hmm. and I, I worry at various moments that maybe we, we overdo it because, you know, there are different spectrums, different swim lanes, right? And great product people aren't really necessarily going to make for great CEOs. That's right. How do you think about that division of labor? What is, you know, this is a tricky question. How do you think about what a CEO does when he or she does it well versus all of the sort of product leadership that we've talked about? How are those roles different? How yeah, do I they think, intertwine? Yeah, I think the, the um, again, the answer kind of evolves over time as the company matures. But, but even at the earlier stages, there is a lot of dividing and conquering going on, right? So, so if you're a team of two or three people uh, as co-founders trying to build, uh, build a company, designing product, what have you, you still have to pay attention to the recruiting dimension, mm-hmm. right? And yes, everybody participates in the recruiting in, in in the process of recruiting, but somebody has to be the front man mm-hmm. or front woman for uh, uh, for this recruiting process. Somebody has to be the face of the company, right? And oftentimes, that is the CEO, right? And so, uh, so that's thing one. The second thing is is culture, right? The CEO, uh, of course. Everybody informs and, and, and participates in building, creating culture in the company, but somebody has to lead the effort. Just like the product leader is responsible for leading discussions, right. organizing conversations around the product strategy, same thing with culture and recruiting when it comes to the CEO. And it is remarkable to me how many tech CEOs first just don't have any respect or regard for that and how, I mean... And how many of them just totally suck at mm-hmm. it, if I'm speaking plainly, right? We're going we're gonna to come back to that when our guest arrives, because look, you and I have both learned the long, hard way. What's Drucker's line? Culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? I mean, All day we, long, yes. you can have a kick-ass product, you can have a money-making machine, but if people aren't engaged, inspired, involved in the way that, as you're pointing out, a CEO needs to drive... In the long arc, you know, these companies don't really, by the way, in that moment, let's, let's look at Microsoft as a quick example. Yes. Because we were both there, right? Before Satya arrived, and I know I'm mythologizing the guy a little bit here, but you could see a company at scale just withering on the vine, right? And then you have this guy, Satya comes on in and just breathes life. Mm-hmm. As far as we can tell, into every nook, and we were talking to somebody from Microsoft a couple of weeks ago who was reporting from the ground, this is employee, you know, 195,262, <laughs> right? Like from that employee's vantage point, this company is on the move, Yeah. right? So it reminds me of Kissinger's uh, statement once about, yes, there are, there are geopolitical forces and social economic events and so on, but people can make all the difference. And, and here, you know, the CEO shows up and can breathe life into a company as Satya has at Microsoft in the early stage, the CEO gives the count, paints the vision, and it's not, it is so critical. It's hard work. And when you see it screwed up as many times as, as I think we do, you get even higher regard yeah. for how important I that think is. we should clarify one thing, that that when we talk about early stage at Superset and we say, oh, we don't, we don't look for a CEO, that doesn't mean that we don't pay attention. There is nobody paying attention to 
these aspects of culture or recruiting, et cetera, right? We absolutely are the CEO, mm-hmm. right? And by we, I mean superset. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and so, so we create we create the right kind of division of labor with our with our product co-founders that we bring on board to to and and with this division of labor that everybody kind of uh, contributes their bit That's to right. the overall mission and vision of the company. That's right. Well, so I, I, I mentioned something before, I want to come back to it in this context, because the Silicon Valley framework around this, around the fungible CEO, mm-hmm. is you go out to market once you have a thing and it's kind of kachunkin' along, and I am going to speak garishly about percentages and, sit and such, so if everybody wants to kick me under the table, too bad, <laughs> I'm saying it. There was this, this kind of benchmark of 6 or 7% of the company for a CEO to come on in, mm. take the reins and do the thing. Mm. All right, that is that was the market price. It's probably teetered around some of that. I'm sure Slotman got something more at Snowflake, whatever, or maybe not, I don't even know. But that was the market mm-hmm. price. What we're talking about here is a totally different species. Correct. Right? Because it is, it is not, at, for a company that is just primordial soup with nothing going, but it's not a company that is in that strike zone and just kind of chunking along where the CEO comes in. And by the way, the principal job of that CEO at that stage typically is to just not screw it up. Yep. Right? There's still a lot of wood to chop. And so what we're talking about here, and it's important because I see a lot of other venture studios being too greedy, right? What we're talking about is equitizing the entire yeah. team, including the CEO, mm-hmm. at a level that makes it worth their while. Yep. If you found the right person, right? No one is going to quit. And we're not talking about small potatoes here. It's got to be a meaningful slug of the company mm-hmm. because they're going to do a tremendous amount of work to take that company up yeah. the hill and, and all the way to the moon. And and I was having, actually, I was having a conversation with uh, a, a VC friend of mine the other day about our model. And, uh, you know, so the usual kind of questions came up, like, how do you incentivize people? And, oh, it's not going to work for external people coming in. And when I explained how the equitization of CEOs and these product co-founders work, they were like, wow, no one's done that before. That is Are correct. you sure you guys do that? Yeah. Like, yes, we do. <laughs> Are you sure uh, you got those numbers right? Yeah. You yeah, know, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's a conversation actually I just had with one of the investors who's looking at one of our projects. And there's this concern about, well, what's going to happen if you or Vivek get hit by a bus or you're not here to do the thing? And I just had to courteously remind this person, and this is a nice lead-in to the introduction of our guest. Have you seen our record? Yeah. Right? Because we're actually, it's not happy talk. We're actually doing it. Yep. All right. So, so with that, I think it's a very good time to bring in our guest. Let's do it. Shall we do it? Let's do it. Okay. Drum roll, please. Right. We're going to have, we're going to have them add a drum roll. This is the part where they add the drum roll in post, post post-production. Okay. I don't have to. There's the drum roll. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my great privilege to introduce Dane Holmes to the Closed Session Podcast. Dane is the CEO of Escalera, and, and Dane, welcome. Welcome, Dane. Yes, thanks for inviting me to the party. And it is a party. <laughs> as, it's, it's, yeah. it's a as lot of nonsense. As you will soon find out. It's a lot of tomfoolery and, and just utter nonsense. Dane, it is great to have you with us here. We were talking a lot about you. Your ears must have been burning uh, because... Look, we're, we're examining the role of the CEO in an early stage 
con- you know contexts like the ones we we create over here at, at Superset, and we want to be able to speak plainly with you about um, the whole journey. I'm gonna you're gonna get grumpy at me now, but I gotta say it. So Dane <laughs> comes to us from Goldman Sachs, where he was on the management committee of Goldman Sachs, which is a big you know. Mm. The, there's this, he's in the inner sanctum. He's forget the inner sanctum. He's in the star chamber. <laughs> all right, and a long, very successful career on Wall Street in various roles at Goldman Sachs before finally taking the reins uh, as head of human capital management, which is Goldman's way of saying chief people officer, right? Correct. So an incredible ride. And I want to flash back, Dane, to that dinner we had in Manhattan a long, long time ago, where I think, because, you know, I was the CEO of Escalera. We had two or three or maybe two or three customers at the time. We'd built the early product. And of course, I'm trying to get Goldman Sachs to sign on as a customer, you were on the other side of the table, right? There's funny times. And then, and then I remember we had a, a steak dinner at a fancy place in Manhattan. And you mentioned that you were, you were wondering about whatever was next. Yep. Correct. It was, yeah, it's funny to go back there. God, a lot has happened uh, since then. But, you know, I was in the standard position of trying to decide, uh, you know, did I want to learn something else having spent, you know, almost 30 years on Wall Street I was like thinking, you know, hey, uh, there's another big world out there, the tech world being one of them. Do I want to lean into that and experience that? And, and knowing that you had so much experience in it, I was going out to dinner thinking you were going to help me figure out what other big tech company that was recruiting me I was going to go go to. And uh, I don't think we made it to appetizers before you said, uh, that's a bunch of tomfoolery. Um, I have this way better idea for you. Um, uh, you should come over and, you know, work with me and we should build this company, Escalera. And I was like, well, this is a different formula. And I'll never forget, I, I, I went back and uh, spoke to my wife and she's like, oh, how, how was your dinner with Tom? Did he help you figure out, you know, which of these tech companies you should really <laughs> prioritize? And I said, no, he came up with option B. <laughs> and so, and so off we are and here, and here we are. So yeah, be, be careful about going to dinner with the really right. smart people. That's the, that's the, uh, that's, that's the gist of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For sure. Well, and I think I, I do remember when you were at, at the, at dinner and you had to step away to take a call briefly. I put something in your martini. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And I, I've been feeling yes. bad about that. I feel like I should have told you that long yes. ago, but the truth comes out now. Hey, I got, I, I've been trying to avoid root, getting roofied my whole life. I should have known it was a tech <laughs> entrepreneur that would do it to me. <laughs> so, so look, you, as you're saying, like, I remember you, you had some big jobs in vaunted positions yep. and you were on the cusp. And, and so Obviously, you have some kind of chromosomal imbalance <laughs> that made you decide to go and do this thing at Escalera. Can you talk more about how and why you made that decision? Yeah, there was two things uh, that one. So one was, uh, you know, some self-introspection on my part, which I'll talk about. And the second was something that you said that I've like reutilized. And at this point, you know, almost claim it as my own. Um, the self-reflection component of it was, you know, um, whenever presented with a problem or a situation that you hadn't previously thought about, I go immediately to frameworks. So I had to put a, you know, a pro and con framework in place right away because my head was exploding. And so part of that framework um, had in it, you know, what did I want for myself as an individual? Uh, what did I want for the others I was going to work with? What sort of environment did I want to have? And then the last was what sort of like impact in the world, right? Did you want to have with that? So kind of those three layers. And I started listing it out. And 
what was scary about it was I was going down this other path that was scoring very poorly on that framework. Mm. Um, and mm. as I was going down this path, it was scoring very high on this under this framework. But I don't know that I would have created the framework if I hadn't been presented with mm. the challenge. And and I think this faces a lot of people where they're you know they're on a path and they just stay on their path. And do they really? You know, take the step back and say, "Okay, I, I might like where I'm headed, but is this really where I want to head? Is this mm. my opti- optimized direction?" Um, so, you know, from that perspective, the opportunity uh, through all three of those lenses with Escalera was just ticking the boxes, which was great. Um, the, you know, the the second version of it was something you said to me that I said I own. You said, "Hey, do you want to be uh, all hat and no cattle?" Mm. And and that was a very probing question. Um, because of course, you know, when you live in corporate America and you grind your way up the corporate ladder, and uh, I'm sure this exists in small company context too, you know, you acquire a lot of hat, you know, the hat gets bigger, you put a feather in it, it's got some turquoise banding on it. I mean, and you start (laughs) to say, damn, that's a nice hat, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But at some point you can also say, but my ability to affect change, my ability to make decisions, my ability to create the culture that I want, you know. No cattle, man. I'm a cowboy with a sweet hat, sweet setup. Big old lasso, whip it around <laughs> yeah, in the air exactly all day long. Right. <laughs> Everybody, when you walk in a room, they say, "Damn, look at his hat." But like, but your ability to actually do the, uh, you know, to to say, you know, I got a, a hundred thousand steer cattle, and I'm a real cowboy is uh, is is harder. And so that stuck with me, and and I just said no, like, uh, you know, and also from my makeup, I kind of cared less about the hat. I acquired the hat, but. It honestly didn't mean that much to me, but the cattle mattered a lot. And so, you know, that started, you know, part of the formula and boom, next thing you know, we're here. Crazy. So yeah. when you first heard about Superset and the model, and what were your first thoughts? Like, thank God. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, one thing that I've tried to embrace the whole time is a little bit of humility. Um, I think, you know, I came onto Wall Street in 1992 where all of the captains of industry got destroyed. Hmm. So I kind of had this benefit of entering in a down cycle. Hmm. And I just remember that the people that I was interviewing in 1991, by the time I arrived in 1992, were fired. Hmm. So I just had, you know, I had a lot of humility uh, uh, around it. And so... You know, I came, you forget, you know, the, to continue the cowboy hat analogy, you know, I had, might have had the big hat, but I came and I said to myself, you know, very clearly, I've never done a startup before. I've never been a startup CEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this isn't something that I've actually done. It's something that I feel like I have some some basis to potentially be successful at, but I have, I, hey, you leave me alone with a, with a glass of bourbon, I can come up with a couple dozen things that I'm not good at, mm-hmm. Right. And so the concept of having people who had done it before who are aligned with you, hmm. like fully aligned, right? Hmm. Like not like I'm in line in the economic component of what you're doing. I'm in line in all aspects of what you're doing. Uh, and having them as a resource, I mean, in all frankness, I think if I didn't have it, I don't know if I would have done it. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Because I wanted to be successful. That's very meaningful, Dane, to hear you say that. I mean, it is, it is a ride or die. Kind of situation, right? And and we are proud. Look, I mean, it's it's tricky. It's not tricky actually, because you're the captain of the ship, and and then when we affect that transition, it's very clear. Like Dane is the man; he's going to carry it forward. But please put us to work yeah. as you have, yeah, right? Yeah, we stay yeah. close, and we don't want to be people who just show up at board meetings and critique 
uh, your craftsmanship or ask you, wait, why are the numbers as such as they are, which are important questions, 100%. but you got to be aligned and in the foxhole and, and feeling everything that's going on in the business, you know? Yeah. yeah I think one, one thing that I've really appreciated, right. in is that because sometimes it's difficult for people in your position to, to, as the CEO of the company, mm -hmm. to, uh, really think about us yeah. as superset in that, are they, they're on my board. Are they actually going to roll up their sleeves and and work with me? And 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 also, am I comfortable disclosing these all these challenges I'm having because mm -hmm. they're on the board, right? Mm -hmm. So it's been it's been actually from our perspective very gratifying to see that that trust mm -hmm. has been established so that you know we can go in and we can we can say I'm putting off my board hat now, speaking right. hats, mm -hmm. and I'm putting on my company builder hat now and going to work with you to solve these problems. We we, we do that a lot. Right, and it's it sounds a little silly, but Vivek and I frequently still like, okay, taking off my board hat, I'm taking off my boss hat. Now I have my friend hat on. Yeah. Now I have, you know, we just change hats all day long. Yeah. And listen, I think I I think the difference, the other big difference is, frankly, you've done it. Mm -hmm. So for you, while I know there's this little bit of a change, my guess is also based on my experience, like you can very quickly go into operator mode. Mm -hmm. Like you, you you've you've been there, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like some like distant thought or some philosophy or some business school course you took. <laughs> You're like, no, I remember that pain. I, I can actually go back and remember when I, when I hit it, which is helpful. Um, Vivek, you said something else there that I thought was really important, which was around trust. Yeah. And, you know, I've always had this belief mechanism. A lot of people say, oh, you have to earn their trust. I've always thought of it as trust as a gift. And over time, the gift is either confirmed as having been a good gift to give mm, right. or maybe a bad gift to have given, yeah. right? Mm. And so, you know, I entered it with, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust it as presented. And the beauty of it has been is every day that I come in, that's validated as having been a good gift to give. Yeah. And, and so I would push, you know, other CEOs, I think sometimes they're, this is their mistake. Being a CEO is hard and lonely. Doing it with other people who've done it makes it a little bit better. And it's it, still it, very lonely. It's, it's still, still very lonely. That's what I'm still, saying. I wouldn't go to happy. I would say, but better. It's still, <laughs> it's still going to be hard AF. Yeah. But, but when you have people and thought partners you can confide in and talk to. By the way, that was my my journey in my first company. It was so lonely. Yeah. And and so having true partners, true co-founders for real, who are going to be there and not um, look. I mean, it is a delicate thing to say it, but I think. When, I mean, I'm still operating, yeah. uh, you know, and I'm still a CEO, yeah. I get a little seized up when I'm talking to investors and feeling like, oh no, I, I don't know if I should really blurt all of that out. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I should be venting and saying what I really think. And that's just the nature of the beast. A hundred percent. I mean, it's such a challenging thing. I think it applies to your team. I think it also applies to investors and other stakeholders that are involved is this question that I think if you're being a thoughtful CEO, you're always debating, like, um, is sharing this information empowering or distracting or actually misdirecting, mm -hmm. right? right? And, it, and, it, and it's, you know, some people be like, oh, just be fully transparent. No, full transparency <laughs> isn't always very helpful to, anybody that's, to everybody that's involved. <laughs> that's and right. by the way, we've all seen our relationship, you know, where when you're in a good place or like in a marriage, they're like, you know what would have been helpful, honey, if you hadn't told me that? I actually didn't need to know that. That wasn't helpful. Um, and so I feel like when you're the CEO, like the one thing you have is you have access to all information in many ways. 
And in some sense, you're running a very complicated algorithm about how do you put that information out in a way that's useful. Yes. Right. Right. And I think that's what most most CEOs struggle with. They they either err on full transparency, which is not, as you said, productive uh, a lot of the times, or they err on very little transparency. Right. You have to figure Hide the out- the ball with the board. Don't say what's really going. You know, yeah. there, there's, that's dangerous too. Correct. Not just with the board, but with employees too, right? Because right. this information sharing has to transcend to employees as right. well. You give them the right amount of context and they do wonders, right? right? Yeah. If you share too much, perhaps it gets counterproductive. You share too little, they're not able to do their jobs right. properly. Right. Yeah, I often joke that, you know, anybody who says they want to be very transparent, their first speech around transparency should be, and, and to be clear, full transparency means I will tell you that I know things that I'm not going to tell you. I'm being transparent about that. Meta-transparency. And now you're snapping me back. I remember my first company when I was a baby CEO and still learning so much. I remember walking through the office once and my face was low and I think I literally had a stomach ache that day. Mm. And it just spiraled into this chatter all of a sudden about, oh my God, there's a layoff coming. I saw Tommy look terrible. And like, and it, it was my moment to learn like, wow, this is, this is some heavy stuff here. And I got to really manage my aspect yeah. carefully. Speaking of like, not too much transparency. And by the way, chin up, you know, if you have a stomach ache, maybe work from home that day, whatever. It's um, just emphasizing your point, Dane. It's a lonely, hard job and, and the stakes are high. Yeah, it's so funny. You tell me that story. I had one of those ones too when I was running uh, investor relations at Goldman during the financial crisis. And, that, that was and, an easy job. Yeah, yeah it was a, That's it a was, totally it, it like was, phone it in job. It, it was a totally, it was intense. Um, but one of the parts, one of the things I'll never forget, and I kept this forever. Um, I, you know, so it's the middle of the crisis. I'm the, um, running investor relations and I'm coming into the office and I'm just doing what I would call my morning calculus. I got to do this. I got to do that. Like, like just literally running through everything that's got to happen over the next 18 hours or whatever. And I get back to my desk and I felt like energized. By the way, I was in a, I mean, it was a crazy mark, but I was in a good mood. I was like, we're, we're getting stuff done. Right. And my phone rings. My friend was like, Hey, Dane, you know, uh, how are you doing? I was like, doing great, man. Like, what are you calling me? He's like, uh, I just wanted to check in. Cause you know, um, uh, one of the guys who works for me was in the elevator uh, with you when you're coming up and said, you look super like focused and intense. And like, they were kind of freaked out and was like, is everything okay with Dane? Oh, oh boy. I said, dude, I was doing my morning schedule run. That's what I was doing. Like everything's fine. Right. But it made me realize. And from yeah. that moment on, it was so funny. Every time I got in the elevator, regardless of what was happening in the outside world, I talked to everybody in the up. Uh, the yeah. elevator, I push positive energy out. Right. And it was just, a, and you realize that that's a huge part of it, right? right? That's a huge part of leading is just the energy you admit out. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of trust and transparency, I'm going to share something here that I don't think I've ever told you. Oh. So when you were. It doesn't involve my wife anymore. No, 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 no. I just want to make sure. All, make all sure. about. <laughs> <laughs> this is all about Dane now. <laughs> okay. Easy. So, so I remember when. I, we were still sorting out whether or not you were going to join Escalera. I had trial ballooned this with um, an investor uh, mentor of mine. And I said, hey, here's what I'm thinking. And this person came back with great certainty that only, you know, investors typically can muster and says, 
Tom, that is the craziest, stupidest idea I've heard in years. You're going to get a Goldman Sachs guy to come in and eat and lead an early stage company? Are you high? No. Are you on what? Like, what's the matter? Yeah. <laughs> so it was set in, in that context, right? Now, he had good reasons because I, I anybody looking that at thought this, process. right? Yes. So, so where I'm taking this now is, and I, I think I mentioned it before we brought you on, no. the exception... Dane Holmes is the exception that proves a general rule, no. right? But the question is, I mean, I got to believe that you have a lot of people from your old world who are looking at you um, with some degree of envy and, and wondering how that guy do it. So yeah. what advice would you give to them? And how do you make sense of, of this ridiculous leap? Like, what are the things, you mentioned humility, so I'm going to say that. Like, you don't show up, and that was what was behind that person's no. skepticism, like, Goldman Sachs guy going to come down and live on the earth with mere mortals and not carry on with heirs and all of the trappings and, and pomp and circumstance that I think a lot of Goldman Sachs people carry on. So you didn't bring any of that, right? But what other, what other things, as you reflect on the journey, what other things have made it possible for you? Yeah. So I, I think it was, I think it was a lot. I mean, first of all, I've, I think you have to be honest with yourself about what you're giving up and and uh, i'm a super optimistic person so this kind of also fits with me in in this world because i think to be a startup ceo you have to have like pretty heavy doses of optimism if you don't like game over just go back to the corporate world and like never come back dane i've uh, said along the way without my optimism yeah. i'd merely be 163 pounds of hype yeah <laughs> that's it it is very true so but for me i think some of it was an analysis around what sort of problems that i want to have yeah so even though I'm optimistic, I know that sounds like a pessimistic approach. So the problems I wanted, the problems that I felt like I wanted to have was, you know, the problem around, hey, I got to recruit more people. Hey, I have to go out and raise money. The problems I didn't want to have is politics. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to have to de overly deal with like bureaucracy. Check. I wanted to be able to get to like decision making. I didn't want to feel like I had to ever um, compromise values for outcomes. Mm. Right. And so those were in many ways, those were the other things, which I think sometimes when you operate in a big organization and you move up and it's, this is natural mm. managing politics, bureaucracy, and like trying to figure out how you can find the middle ground mm. between, you know, operations and values is what you do. Right. Right. And so I just had gotten to the point where like that wasn't the set of decisions I wanted, wanted to, those weren't the problems I wanted to have. Right. Right. That's well, interesting I think, framework. I think one, one other thing that I would add from my perspective, one of the reasons why I think this has worked as well as, as it has is you came in with a lot of passion for the problem and the product we were, we were trying to build at Escalera. Right. I think that's, that's what, is well, I think that's might have been behind the one of the things that might have been behind that that skepticism is well they're just they'll just come in as salespeople or functionaries or, and yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. whereas whereas you know what we got with Dane was a lot of passion and for acumen the, and understanding in context from yeah mm -hmm. for the product right right the problem and the problems and the product and the solutions needed to address those problems right. well and I've said it uh, and I'll say it one more time. With Escalera, we have, Vivek and I have a lot of passion for the company, and that's why we got the ball rolling as we did. And there's zero question in my mind that Dane is a thousand times better equipped 
than I am to, to carry the company forward as CEO. So it's the acumen and the passion and the context and, and you know, it's these intangibles, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that investor couldn't perceive and that we certainly felt like we saw. Mm-hmm. And then there's always a little bit of pixie dust and luck and alignment <laughs> yeah, to start writing. Right. You need exactly. all that to line up too. Exactly but, right. Although I would like to use this particular conversation as the moment where we create some sort of anagram like TDV or something like that. Because, you know, Dane at Escalera has sprinkled us of Tom and Vivek in him. So, so I don't, you know, so the way I would, the way I think about it, and I think this is the super, I think this is the value is that where can you come with whatever skills and passion you have? And I appreciate you saying that passion problem. I have deep passion for, for what we're doing. I think the world has to have this. Right. I don't think this is a should have nice to have. It's just going to become existential if you don't have what mm. we're trying to do. But on top of it, I think it's fair to say that the Dane sitting here is a Dane sitting here as a result of having been able to marinate in this pond that is superset. And if I didn't have that, Dane's a little different. Dane sitting in his own little shared office space trying to do this by himself, not the Dane we're talking about now. It's a different Mm. Dane. Mm. Um, I still love him, Mm -hmm. but you know, maybe some (laughs) other people love him a little less. Sure. Sure. But, you know, that's the reality. Beautiful. So let's get a little tactical, Yeah. right? What were your first, what did you do in your first 100 days as CEO? So it was interesting. So there was, there was uh, a couple things because, you know, right after I started, COVID hit. Yeah. So it was a crazy. Good timing. Crazy, crazy moment. <laughs> exactly right. Um, so the, the first thing, there, there was really two strands that I was going down simultaneously. One strand was I kind of had to assess the team that you had already. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It was like I inherited this team. Like, what are their motivations? I'm a huge believer that if you don't have alignment among your Cedar leadership team, you're just gonna it's like having mud in the in the gears. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I I feel like everybody was aligned, but everybody had a slightly different flavor of mm. how they wanted it to be and how and which is normal at the early stage. Mm. But like could I get everybody aligned to the singular vision mm. in that? And you know, we have a bunch of great, strong personalities on the team, which is what I want. But mm-hmm. that means a little bit more alignment management. Mm-hmm. So that was one. And the second thing was, do we have a product we can sell at a reasonable economic product? Mm-hmm. I love the product, but in the end, you got to get out of your hype and you got to get into others and start seeing like, hey, what kind of per heads can we get? What, right. what kind of contract can we get? What, like, what mm-hmm. can we really do um, um, with it? And... So that was, you know, kind of the second thing. So those were in the first kind of first hundred days. The 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 back half of the hundred days, I would say, that was kind of the first half. The back half was just clarity and a lot with working with you on the long term vision. Yeah, right. Like, okay, this is step one, but like, can we make sure that we're, we're and we know we're aligned on step one? Can we make sure we're aligned on step three, four, and five mm-hmm. uh, with the direction that we were going? And so we had obviously done a bunch of that conversation um, before I joined. But as you know, you arrive and then you're like, okay, let's get back together and agree that this is like what we're going to do now with full information. That's right. all. You have full information on me now. I have full information on you now. Let's like redo it. Uh, let's do a redo. So that was the other thing. Because you also have to, you know, as, as you evolve that uh, thinking, you also have to enroll the other members of the founding team or the leadership team and bring them along with the evolution. Because at Escalera, the others... Like the other people on the leadership team were there before 
yeah. you came on board as well, right? So how was that mm. process? Yeah. So I, I've used this analogy. I said, imagine, um, imagine that you're only allowed to have one child, but it's with like eight parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how would that feel That's from out. a navigational perspective, right? Sure. It pretty, you know, because uh, I know we're all married. We all have kids. We were navigating with our spouses around that. Imagine you had seven others mm-hmm. right. that you had to navigate to and then navigate them against each other and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all that. So I think that that um, process, uh, it's once again, when, I, when I'm faced with difficult things, I put in frameworks. There were two frameworks that I think were super positive for us, which was one, an agreement amongst all of us of what were the three things that were going to make us successful mm. so that we could start saying, Hey, if it's not doing one of these three things, it's less important. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's off the list, but it's less. Right. Right. And, and when you're starting a company, what's important feels like everything, mm-hmm. right? You want to do everything. So that was one. The second was how decision ma- decisions were going to be made. Mm. And this was an interesting, but very positive one. I, Put out a you know a nine square box that on one axis had level of agreement amongst the senior leadership team, and I was gonna and on the other axis was the impact on the business. Okay, and I basically said, okay, at the bottom of it is you know largely agreeable, a lot of disagreement at the top end, top end of the axis. The other one, low impact on the company, high you know high impact on the company. Mm-hmm. I said top right, right, not a lot of agreement. Mm-hmm. Big impact on the company. We are a monarchy. Mm. I make the decisions. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you move down to lesser impact, more levels of agreement. By the way, bottom left box, I'm not even in that Correct. conversation. Right. I, I have nothing to do with it. You guys will decide. Right. In the middle, it'll be the people who have the most to say. You know, it'll be an oligarchy if you want to think about it mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. way. But that's how we're gonna, mm-hmm. that's how it's gonna work. And I think everybody got that. And once we got everybody on board that, hey, that's how we're going to make decisions. Um, and yeah, Dane, as a CEO, you actually are going to give me all the realm to run when I'm in that lower section of the nine box grid. Right. But as we move up. Right. Yeah. It well, that's, I think it's a great that, framework. That's a great framework. And that's great leadership. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, you know, if you uh, look at how these companies unfold, and there's a little bit of tension here because we are also talking about the humility. Mm-hmm. Right. And the egolessness with which Dane shows up, and which is necessary yeah. to make this kind of leap, that feels like that's in conflict with the thing that Dane just said. But that is exactly the job. If there, Abraham Lincoln said, and I, I quote this line, you know, when he was, uh, he had a team of rivals in his cabinet, yeah. right? Yeah. And everybody with strong opinions, just like your team. And he would say, if this decision is to be made, I am certain I must make it. Just a wonderfully kind of calm way of putting everybody back up on their stools yeah. and claiming power the way the job requires. You can't 100%. shy away from it. A hundred percent. And but and on the lower end of the box, which by the way, I say, let's just be very clear too, if we were to put out a, a graph of the type of decisions made, they're gonna cluster to the bottom left. We're not right. every day Correct. gonna be facing some, you know, material company decision that we have massive disagreement on. Right. That's the you know, that's the right. that's that's the infrequent part of then the we're not doing process. something right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. If they're you're there. But the the other part of it that I, I also thought was so important, and I've said this a lot of times, there's many times when I make it a decision and I actually believe my decision is better mm. than the decision the person wants to make. Mm. Now, whether that's ego or actuality, but let's just suggest for a section for a second, it's actually correct. My decision is slightly better. Mm-hmm. Right. Overruling them 
does still have a cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of motivation, of empowerment. Of, of, so you have to always, I think, ask yourself, at what cost am I willing right. to be a little more right? Oh, yeah. Well, and, and, <laughs> a, and, a, and, a, and a good CEO <laughs> picks his or her spots. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Pick oh, your yeah. Spots. That's, that's been my journey, actually, uh, yeah. is just, just uh, I know that the path you're on is going to lead you into the ditch, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to let you do that. Yeah. I'll pull you back at the right time. But if I don't let you do that, and I just override you or overrule you over here, you won't have that learning. So that's been a huge part of my journey as well, is like giving people the, the room mm-hmm. to make mistakes, uh, yeah. even though you know that they are down a path that is going to lead to a mistake. A hundred percent. And then the even superhuman you know, second step of that is is when they're in the ditch, don't stand there going in the ditch, right? Like, just like so. I told you so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. don't jump do down in the ditch and pull him out <laughs> just, and be like, dude, did you see that deer walk across the street and make you go in the ditch? <laughs> Nothing to do with you. Right. It's just like random deer that did that, right? right. <laughs> that second part's hard too, but you got to get there. Yeah. Hey, Dane, this is this has been a, a really fun, insightful conversation. We probably need to wrap it up, but you're going to take us out now. So we have a little uh, a little okay. kooky thing we All do right. around here. All right. You're going to play along. All right. All of our fans want to hear the totally unpaid for promotion. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot now. All right. This is some brand, some things, anything you like. You okay. get You get to pump it, boost it, and they get they get the, the halo benefits. All right. Of, of All, right. All right. I got something. All right. I got okay. something. So I'm a man who likes spice in his food, mm. or I could say I'm a man who likes food and likes spice. I don't know. You can that either <laughs> any way you want. But uh, so I am always trying hot sauce, and there's this hot sauce called Truff. I'm putting that shit on everything, mm. like anything and everything. I put it on corn on the cob last night. <laughs> I was like, so so if you're a hot sauce fan, Truff hot sauce. T R O U G H T R U F F. No, it's. T-R-U-F-F. F-F, okay. It's like, right. it's like a play on truffle, short, yeah, but right. it is good. Nice. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to Amazon and get some. There you go. I like my hot sauce, too. Yeah. <laughs> Great hang, Dane. Thank you for joining us. This is, this is a lot of fun. Yep. Awesome. Thanks, Dane. Happy to be here. And thank you, everyone. 